0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter, beginning at the twelfth verse. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called to them, Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and sickness among the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. It is in the darkness that the light of Christ shines. Jesus isn't an add on once we've established the essentials in our hierarchy of needs. Instead, Jesus meets us in the midst of our needs. While we're struggling in the very middle of things, Jesus disrupts our plans. It is not accidental that Matthew combines Christ's fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy with the call of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They are part of the whole. Hear the good news today of how Christ disrupts our lives in the very best ways. One thing that continues to strike me about this passage is Matthew's opening comment. John was handed over to prison. Narratively, this foreshadows the only other use of the verb, when Jesus would be handed over. But also it sets the stage for how Jesus would go about redemption. For me... I don't know, Jesus is continually frustrating and vexing. Apparently, your preacher today hasn't been wholly sanctified yet. (laughs) You see, I like action and the plot to move along quickly. While I was in the hospital, I watched all the Harry Potter movies, and it was great. There is a problem, flick of the wand, and it's better. I like it when things resolve quickly. Why didn't Jesus do something like that about John sitting in prison? It seems like the darkness is still there. The bad things aren't better, and John's jail cell no less cold. Jesus just goes and talks to some fishermen. It doesn't seem right. It is in the darkness Christ's light shines. The light is real, but the light isn't magic. John is still in prison, but this doesn't make the gospel any less true. Being patient is hard. Sitting in the hospital for six days relieved me of any delusions that I was a patient person. (laughs) And if you were here for our service on December 29th, the poem Patient Trust was read as one of our prayers. It goes, trust in the slow work of God. The slow work of God. How easy it is to confuse this for apathy. How easy it is to be angry when God doesn't answer our prayers in the time and manner we expect. It's not wrong to be angry. Many of our psalms give full vent to this frustration, yet in this slow wait, often invisible to us, like a pot waiting to boil, our God is listening and working for a hope and renewal more certain than we can imagine. Going back to our text, the people featured today in our text, they were a people who knew what it was like to have things go the wrong way. This was the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. In Isaiah's time, they would have remembered the ravages of the Assyrians. There wouldn't have been a family without trauma. Now, in Matthew's time, the very same region was under the shadow of the Romans. And it was that Roman puppet Herod who had just unjustly arrested their friend John. It is in the midst of this darkness of unjust occupation that Matthew sees a glimmer of hope in this Jesus. The Jesus saying, "'The kingdom of heaven is at hand.'" What sort of light was this Jesus? One of my favorite lines by C.S. Lewis comes from The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about when infinite joy is offered us, like a child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I would have been happy if John had gotten out of prison. That's about as far as my imagination would take me. But Jesus was after something infinitely better Immediately before our gospel reading today, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, are the temptations of Christ. And I want us to focus on the contrast between the third temptation and our opening line, John had been arrested, with Christ preaching about the kingdom. In the third temptation, the devil takes Jesus up to a high mountain showing him all the kingdoms and their glory. The devil said, All these I will give you if you worship me. It would have been that easy. Just one little sacrifice and everything would have been better. But Jesus said no. Then in the very next verse, our opening line, we hear the consequence. John is arrested, and Jesus withdrew. I would have been livid. Why didn't Jesus step up when one little sacrifice would have made everything better with a snap of his hand? Jesus said no because Jesus wanted things to actually be better. Jesus wasn't about to sell out for mud pies, the quick fix, or even all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus was holding out for the kingdom of heaven established on earth. Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, instead of fixating on the Assyrians, the Romans, or whatever tyrant of the hour. Jesus was all in. And that grand plan began with calling four fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These were the first four disciples who heard Jesus' call. It is unclear exactly what social economic class they belonged to. Scholars debate the specifics. What is certain is that they were not rich, but they were above the bottom two rungs in Greco-Roman society, slaves and free laborers. These men owned the means of production. In verse 21, we see that they were mending their nets, being frugal with what they had. Yet one can imagine they were comfortable with their lives. Despite the hard work of manual labor on the open waters, they would likely always have known where their next meal was coming from and had a plan for the foreseeable future. This was certainly better than many in their time and place, not something you'd throw away. Yet then comes along Jesus and disrupts their best-laid plans. Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. There must have been something irresistible about that call. In some ways, I must admit a certain jealousy of that call. There must have been a crystal clarity in their souls, They all knew they were supposed to follow Jesus, and for the next three years, that meant literally following Jesus around on foot as he preached throughout Israel. Yes, there is a certain specificity about their apostolic call that isn't to be repeated. Yet, I believe that Jesus' call on that lake shore all those years ago applies just as much to you and me and everyone who hears this today. We are called to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means following the long road to the real hope of the kingdom of heaven. The road is long. As Martin Luther King Jr. reminded us the night before he died, He said, we've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. The work of racial justice, as well as all the justice that marks the kingdom of heaven, is not finished. Yet, this is the road along which Jesus walked and we are called to follow. The ways this will look in your individual lives will be as different as the people sitting in these pews. Yet, even so, it's a deeply communal work as we are called to follow Jesus together Supporting and upholding each member of the church as the family of God. The hope we follow is a real hope. The darkness will not prevail. Assyria, that menace of Isaiah's time, was a distant memory in Matthew's. Likewise, Rome too would fall. And the hope of Matthew's gospel points beyond the tyrant of the moment. In 70 AD, Jerusalem fell, along with any dream of a political Messiah. Instead, Matthew reminds us of the light that shined in the darkness. The light of Jesus that did not go out on Good Friday, but rose on Easter Sunday, defeating all the powers of evil, even death. If we skip to the end, the last chapter of Matthew, we see Jesus standing on another mountain, reminding us of the mountain in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. You see, Jesus didn't forget about John. Jesus didn't forget about any of us. It was only that we couldn't imagine God making a sacrifice that big. It is hard to believe anyone would love us so completely. Yet that is the love with which Jesus calls us. I find that love quite irresistible. Will you follow Jesus today? Amen.